Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by Senior Pastor Clint Shamblick. He's preaching from Leviticus chapter 11 verses 41 through 47, chapter 19 verses 1 through 2, and 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 13 through 16. We're going through this Levitical series, and, and in doing so, it's very, very odd because you read Leviticus, and you read what was just uh, said to us, said over us, and it's talking about bugs and crawling things and, and not eating them, and we think to ourselves, oh man, I can never go on Survivor. I can't eat maggots to sustain me. I'm, I'm doomed. And we say, okay, oh man, I got I to gotta take this, and I can't eat bugs. What does that even mean? Why does that even mean that? Well, I want to go back. Last week, Pastor Abe did a great job setting up the blueprint of gospel life for us. Because, that was was strange, there is no God, right, when he said that. (laughs) Didn't realize I was going to fight the the lords of Baal today, like, (laughs) Hitchens in the room with us right now, okay. What this is telling us, what the Leviticus series is teaching us and showing us is exactly what Pastor Abe said last week, is there's a blueprint of gospel work that is in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The same God of the Old Testament is the same exact God of the New Testament. And you can say, hold on, hold on, Pastor, this is very bizarre, this is very weird to me. In nowhere in the New Testament do I ever see conversations about crawling bugs and eating them. How can you say this is the same God of the Old Testament as it in the New Testament? I, I like talking about, you know, the, the, the grace and the liberty and the freedom. I, I don't like talking about bugs and creepy crawly things and can I eat them or not. Well, just like Pastor Abe said last week, I'm going to say this week. Leviticus is a blueprint of gospel life. It is a way for us to understand the heart of God, to know the depth of God, and for us to be changed by it. So we could ask ourselves, we can get into this debate, and it would be, I don't know, maybe a fun debate for you, of can I eat ants today? Can I have a protein bar that is made of crickets instead of uh, meat of of cows? And we can get in that discussion, and it would be a wildly interesting discussion, but it would be a fruitless discussion if we first didn't go through something else primarily. I want to expose you, I want to show you that actually the first thing that needs to happen is we need to discuss something that flies in the face of our sensibilities today. Us as modern men and women, this flies in the face. What I'm about to say flies in the face of everything we've been taught and shown by the world. And my hope today is you come to understand why we are called to consecrate ourselves, to be holy, to be separate. Why are we going to do that? Why does God say, hey, please don't, please don't eat these things? And this is the thing that flies in the face and what I want to help explain, what I want to help expose. Because loved ones ask each other to abstain from things and to participate in things. If you are loved by somebody, if you are cherished by somebody, they will look at you and they will ask you to abstain from some things and participate in other things. And if they don't, let me encourage you with something, they don't love you. If you have a friend, if you have a a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a husband, a wife, and they tell you, you can do whatever you want to do, I don't care. They don't love you. How how do I know that? Uh, If uh, some of you are parents, some of you are becoming parents, we we see these little ones running around. Uh, If I told my child as they ran on the platform of our our Sheridan stop on the the red line, if I said, yeah, I don't care where you run, have fun. uh, Go wherever you want. And my four-year-old starts running to the edge, and I say, 
Look at her go. She's got freedom, doesn't she? I don't love her. See, the first thing that we need to understand, the primary thing we need to ask before we get to can I eat crickets, is this. Why in the world would God ever ask us to abstain from certain things? Why does he ask us to be holy? Why would he say such a thing? We answer that, and then afterwards you can ask me about crickets. How about that deal? Because here's, here's the image I want you to have. If you ever have come across, my family went fishing this week. If you ever come across a fish and it's out of water, and it's on the dock and it's flopping around, a little bit of, of excitement, you would never... The fish would never say to you, oh, thank you for freeing me from the water that I've been trapped by. What would the fish say if it could speak? We're in a fairy tale world right now. The fish would say, stop killing me. Put me back in the water where I can live. See, what you and I need to come to understand is that restrictions on our lives are not restrictions for slavery's sake. Restrictions on our life, God asking us to do certain things, to abstain from some things and perform other things, is God loving us, is giving us proper restrictions, like fish being restricted to water. They live. Fish, fish with complete freedom would die. They would, they would not live on land. So today, I want you to see that God's restrictions on us is loving kindness. And they, they transform from restrictions to freedom if we first understand that. And I need to express that to you by talking about what is holy, how we are holy, and when we are holy. It'd be a good idea if we found out what is holy, holiness, how we are holy, and, what, and when we are holy. First and foremost, I want to talk about what is holiness. What is holy? Countless times through and through the scriptures uh, that were read to us, the passages, it said this over and over and over and over again. It said, be holy as I am holy. And then God goes on to say, don't eat crickets. And many of us say, oh, fantastic, check. I am holy, therefore, because I've never eaten a cricket in my entire life. I don't struggle with that. Ah, oh, good. Whew. Glad I get to call myself holy today. <laughs> Hold on. That, that's not what the passage must be saying. That can't be what the passage is saying. Because what I'm going to try to tell you, what I'm going to try to expose to you is this. Following rules... And abstaining and participating in certain actions does not make you holy. Not one time in your life can you say, I am holy, by abstaining from certain things and participating in other things. Basically, essentially saying, if I perform well, if I act rightly, ah, I am holy. Now, this is very odd for us because if you were to say, and this is a, uh, maybe this was more akin earlier in life, but if somebody was to say, uh, well, I'm, I'm not good, I'm not great in life, I'm no Mother Teresa, Right? I'm no Dalai Lama. I'm, I'm none of these high, incredible people that are good and great and do all the right things in the world. I'm not, I'm not holy like they are. My suggestion to you is this. No one is holy based upon their actions and performance. Now, you might be saying, hold on, question, Pastor. I, I got a question. Because I read the Bible, and there are countless rules over and over and over again. There's commandments written on tablets there are things countless times in the scripture. Jesus Christ himself gave hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of commands. What do you mean we're not made holy by, by following rules? And why in, the, why in the world are rules there in scripture? I, I want to try to show you, I want to try to evidence to you, first convince you that we are not made holy by our performance and then show you what is holiness. And I have a couple of ways of doing that. First, I want to expose you to the, the rich young ruler in scripture. 
Jesus is confronted by uh, this man. He comes up to Jesus and he goes, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you can kind of picture him. He's kind of big on himself. He walks up to Jesus and Jesus says, oh, okay, follow the commands. And he summarizes the law and says basically, do these things. And the rich young ruler says, I've done them. Ha, aren't I great? And Jesus says, okay, let's go further. Now, before we move on, before I say another thing, the man asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be good? And Jesus says, follow the commands. And he says, I've done them. And then Jesus continues. Now, before I go on, his continuation of the argument should prove to you that following commands is not enough to make you holy. Right there. I, I don't need to go any further. I'm going to go further. I wish I had more time to express what the rich young ruler says. But right there, Jesus pushing further in is telling him, your actions don't make you good. Church, if you need to hear that today, I'm going to say it so many times. Your moral perfectionist, your good deeds do nothing for your holiness. And again, you say, pastor, this is very bizarre. <laughs> this is very weird. Isn't, isn't Christian faith all about doing good, being a better person? No. If that's the first time you're hearing that, welcome to Christianity. If that's not your first time hearing that, you need to hear it again. Because again, what's the goal or what's the job of a pastor? <laughs> Saying the same thing over and over and over. Your moral perfectionism does not make you holy. The rich young ruler said, I've done all that. And Jesus says, well, go ahead and give everything you have to the poor and come and follow me. And he says, I'm out. Now, why did that happen? He said, come follow me. Come have connection with me. Come be with me. And he says, I'm out. Because the fact of the matter is the God of the Bible is a personal God, is a relational God, is somebody we talk to. We're in... We're in Pastor Abe said so last week, it's, it's, a, it's a marriage analogy. It's the bridegroom. It's, it's this connection of friend, of bride, of marriage. And because God is a personal God, we will never, ever, ever, ever be made holy by rule following because rules and laws never change your heart ever. Let me try to show this to you. Uh, let's say you have a friend and she's dating somebody. And this somebody sends her emails and text messaging demanding that she do things for him. Go pick up my dry cleaning, go get my groceries, go wash my dog, go fill my car up with gas. But she never, ever, ever meets him, never hangs out with him. First of all, if you're her friend, what's your advice to her right now? Run. <laughs> Block the number, get away or you're being catfished. Like these are the two options you have right now. It's either abusive or you're being catfished. This isn't a relationship. And if she just said, no, 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 I must do everything that he's saying. And you say, well, have you met him? No, I haven't met him. Have you been with him? No, I haven't, I haven't seen him. Have you hung out with his friends? No, I haven't hung out with his friends. Does he come and see you? No, he doesn't do that. He just demands of me from a text message thread and I follow. You would tell your friend, get away. If we had a God like that, I would tell you, get away. It's not a God. It's a set of laws that demand of you and can never, ever relate to you. And we have a God that is incarnate with us, is relational with us. That's how I know that rules and laws will never, ever change your heart. Because it would be an abusive father. It would be a distant lover. And that is not what Jesus was, is. God the Father was, is, not those things. Holiness is not a set of laws to follow. 
And, and let, me, let me try to further the point even, even more. Let me try to hammer this home over and over and over again because religion will kill you if it is not ripe with relationship. I'm going to give you three examples from Scripture on people that were called by God, that, that were incredible, incredible vessels of his ministry that were not moral perfectionists. David, Job, and Sarah. Let's start with David. David is called a man after God's own heart. Only time in Scripture that's used. Let me recap very quickly David's life for you. Uh, was treasonous against his country by using the military to kill his friend so that he can cheat on his friend with the wife of the friend and then impregnate her and bring her into his house. That's a man after God's own heart. <laughs> Absolutely. Job. Job is a very, very interesting book to us. Many people don't read the book of Job because it gets a little odd. Because midway through the book of Job, I'm under the impression that when Job, if you don't know Job's story, Job has everything taken from him, his family, his home, his finances. He's a wealthy man. He's a civic leader. He's a family man. And everything is taken, literally. His house burns down. His family dies. Satan antagonizes him and takes everything. And midway through, Job says something very, very interesting. I think he blasphemes against God. He looks at God and says, I wish you were dead. Now, how many of us grew up in church and were told that if you ever, 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 ever blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you're done, you're toast, you're never going to be used by God ever again in life? Some of us were. Job, I think, if he doesn't do it, he comes so close. Says to God, God, I wish you were dead. And Job is chronicled in the eternal scriptures for all of time as a hero of faith. Okay, that's weird. Okay, so, so sexual ethic and treasonous activity, that doesn't, get you, that doesn't get you kicked out. Okay, telling God to go die, that doesn't get you kicked out. Let's go further. How about Sarah? Sarah, Sarah in the Old Testament, she's part of the lineage of Jesus Christ, and she wants a child so bad, and her husband and her don't have a child. So what does she do? She goes to the foreign-born servant who's in her cadre, and she has her husband sleep with the maidservant to have a kid. And then takes that kid, tries to have him, and God says, no, 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 that's, that's not for you. We're talking about a, a adoption farms going on with Sarah in the scriptures. Impregnating somebody else who's at your service, who's an employee of you, who's foreign born. Wait a second, that sounds horrible. That sounds like trafficking. It, it is. <laughs> Jesus comes from these people. See, how do I know that holiness is not tied to your performance of morality? All of those people are in the Holy Scriptures as told as heroes of faith. You must be saying, great, I want nothing to do with Christianity then. <laughs> I want nothing to do with this faith that you're so supposing on to me. But hold on a second. I want to tell you what holiness is. If it's not, that was my entire attitude of hope of saying that moral perfectionism is not the way you become holy. So I want to tell you what is holiness. Holiness is this. It goes back to that example of the, of the friend who's dating this guy who's completely abusive. Holiness has much more to do with the distinction of a culture than it does your adherence to laws. What do I mean by that? Uh, many of you have been very, very good to us. Uh, you've been bringing us food, uh, which the greatest three words in the English language are Korean fried chicken. <laughs> it's the best thing on planet Earth. Um, we're going through a, a cleanse right now where I'm eating spinach uh, uh, slushies and, and smoothies only. It's incredible. 
But as you all have been bringing us food, do you know what's incredible about food? Do you know what's incredible about diet? Do you know what is incredible about things that we put in our mouths and then we digest? If you want to know a little bit, if I want to know a little bit about you and your culture and how you value things, you know what I should do with you? I should have a meal with you. And if you want to know about me, you should have a meal with me. Um, Because sharing a meal, breaking bread, I think I've heard that before, is a way in which we commune together in fellowship and we learn about each other. Food and art are two key pieces of culture in which I understand who you are. And one such family brought us over some they went to the Korean market, uh, and they brought us all sorts of food from the Korean market, and they plopped it on our, our island, and they sprawled it all out, and then they went through a quick tutorial of everything. Uh, there was uh, some, some sweet bean uh, uh, thing. I, I don't even know what it was called. It was delicious. Um, there was this noodle with sauce. There was fried chicken. Uh, there was incredible, incredible things, and all of the writing was in Korean. I, it, just everything was in Korean. I had no clue how long to put the things in the microwave for. I just guessed. Google Translate was not helping me. And I said, okay, that's great. I didn't understand anything, but I understood this about the family that brought over the food. It was vital and important for them to share something of who they are with me. By the diet I was consuming, I learned about her and her family. See, when Christ says, be holy as I am holy, separate yourself, be distinct, share in my diet, what he's doing is, Learn something about me. Now, recently, uh, NASA's done this incredible thing where for 15 million light years, there are cosmic deities, cosmic created things, not deities as in gods. I'm just saying created things out in the, in the cosmos. There's only one God. They're out there 15 million light years. We don't, don't put that on a t-shirt somewhere. I didn't say that. <laughs> out there and we're getting images of it and because of these images that we're receiving because of these things that we're seeing we have no clue what is currently happening to those cosmic created things we have no idea we're getting a a a time stamp way back in the distant past and we're going what in the world is going on it's a cornucopia we we thought we knew what was going on and then we got these images from nasa and we have no idea there are cosmic things that are countless infinitude of cosmic things The God that created that is the God that speaks to you and I. And if you think understanding that God is easy and simple and straightforward, you think of him as a cat or a dog, not the God of the cosmos. You and I are a speck on a speck on a speck on a speck on a speck compared to the infinitude of God. He is the cosmos maker. We are Instagram creators. One of those is not the same as another. And because he is so much greater than us, because his culture, his language, his being is so much higher than ours, when he says, be holy as I am holy, separate yourself by not eating these things, the first thing we need to understand is he is teaching me something about himself by separating me from the world that I am a part of. That's what you should get from this primarily. He is separating us from the world that I know of because he is the God who has 15 million light years away, has created something that he knows intimately, and I'm getting a blurred out picture of. Do you get that? He's sharing with us his insight, his culture, his language. And just like I need to learn as somebody comes over and shares food with me, we need to understand as God shares his food with us. 
This teaches me about God. This is a culture. Holiness is being separated from the world that I have known and lived in, the culture that is natural to me for a culture that is supernatural to me. That's the first thing. The second thing, how are we holy? If holiness is being separated unto a new culture that is completely foreign to us, like me trying to figure out how many seconds to do the, the rice, which it turns out was already cooked. <laughs> Found that out a little later. As my wife said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm cooking the rice. She goes, it's already cooked. And I said, that's great, okay. <laughs> how are we holy? C.S. Lewis, one of the uh, fantastic author, puts it like this. Being a Christian is much more akin to being part of a secret society than it is anything else. Being a Christian is coming under the lordship of another society than it is anything else. It's a culture of holiness. That was in Mere Christianity, by the way. And, and if you haven't read Mere Christianity, go pick up a book right now and, and read it after you read the Bible. Then, then read Mere Christianity. It's not strict adherence. It is a way of thinking, it is a way of, of learning and doing and knowing. Now, before I give this next example of what I mean by how are we holy, it's, it's adherence to a culture, not an adherence to a set of rules. Uh, I need to do a quick little side note. I said this yesterday. I was with Pastor Abe and his small group, uh, and I had to give this disclaimer. Uh, somebody accused me of, of this next example, something that I love and appreciate. Uh, I, I love kung fu movies. Uh, they're fantastic to me. And then somebody said, you're just saying that because there were a bunch of Asians in here. And I said, no, that's not true. <laughs> I, I love kung fu. I, I have... I'm going to talk about Mr. Miyagi and Daniel's son right now in Karate Kid. So it's a fantastic, not the remake. Don't do the remake. Do the original Karate Kid, okay? The original Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi is teaching this student, Daniel, and he tells him to go wax his car. If you've seen this, it's wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. Daniel's son's getting very, very frustrated. He's getting very, very annoyed, very, very mad at this. And essentially saying, why, why do I have to wax your car every time? You're just abusing me. I'm just somebody that, that you use to wash your vehicle. What are you doing? And then Mr. Miyagi comes up and says, stop this punch I'm about to throw at you. And he, he throws a punch. And what does Daniel do? Wax on, wax off. And all of a sudden it goes, oh. And it hits him. It, it's this understanding Daniel was being conformed to a way of living that was foreign to him. It wasn't so much the shine of the car that was important. When God asks us to abstain from certain things and perform other things, it's not for the sake of us being good through them. It's not for the sake of the shine of the car. It's for the sake of us learning things that are foreign so that we can do the things that God loves. That's what he's asking us to do. We are holy when we submit ourselves to the culture and the ways and the practices that God wants us to do. When we sit there and we wax on and wax off over and over and over and over, we say, God, why are we doing this? It's for a purpose. It's for a reason. You need, to, you need to get muscle memory. You need to get intelligence. You need to get emotional memory to know something that's completely foreign and different from who you are and what you do. See, the world's definition of holiness is this. If you vote the right way, whatever way that is. If you give to the right charities, whatever charities those are. If you perform, uh, if you abstain from certain sexual practices and if you perform other civic practices, that is what makes you holy. You are good if you believe this or think this or feel this and there's a whole subset of rules. And if you don't believe me, think of the one thing that you couldn't do in your family without being asked never to come back again. 
Think of your friends, the one thing you can't do in your peer group. If you made a statement, who do you know that if they found out your voting record would be like, oh, no, I can't talk to you. You're dead to me. Because the world is a religious playground that has a certain subset of rules that you must adhere to. Christianity has rules, but you don't adhere to them to get welcomed in. You adhere to them after you've welcomed in. See, what the commentators say over and over and over again, the Peter passage that was read to you, it says, at one time we were not sober-minded, and now we are sober-minded. And Peter reminds us, be holy as God is holy now that you are sober-minded. See, the thing that you and I need to understand and, and what the commentators call a sphere of holiness. You are not made holy by your actions. You are made holy by the presence of somebody else who acted for you. That's what makes you holy. Let me try to explain this a little bit. I'm going to try to explain the sphere of holiness a little bit to you. Uh, I was uh, in seminary, a, a know-nothing uh, youth pastor. I just was, was nobody. Um, and we had somebody coming, a, a very, very famous commentator, a very, very famous academic guy, and, and a, a guy who is honestly lovely and beautiful and a servant. I've gotten to know him a couple times throughout the years, and, and he is fantastic. He's humble and he's servant-minded. But he was going to preach at the chapel, and I was late. I was on a phone call to somebody, and so I come running up at the back, and everybody else has gotten there an hour before the, the preaching time, which is just the weirdest thing, by the way. Like, like he's not a rock star. He's not Bono or, or anybody else. Like, what are you guys doing? And, and everybody's in. There's not a seat in the place, and I come in late. I'm on the phone. I hang up, and I'm looking around. I can't find a seat. And right in front of me is the commentator who's going to preach. And he turns around, and he says, hey, how you doing? I'm like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. We talk. We exchange pleasantries. And then we start walking in, and he's talking to me as we walk in, and the music is going, the worship band's up there, and I'm just walking with him. And I'm like, I, I guess I'm here now. Okay, this is fantastic. And up in front of the stage, the whole first row was gone because nobody sits in the front row of church ever. But secondly, they had it sectioned off. It was perfect. So glad no one was there. But secondly, they had somebody who was, who was saving his spot, and there was a couple seats next to him. And so I walked in and I got to sit next to the preacher who was up there that people had traveled three, four hours away to come talk to. And I'm chatting with him about my day, about the studies that I have, about the classes I'm taking. And pretty soon my phone just starts blowing up. How did you get to sit next to him? Did you pay more? <laughs> Do, t tell me you don't know him. Does he know your name? I'm like, I, I don't think so. I got to walk in with him. Now, I, was a, I still am a nobody. I was a nobody. I, I'm a nobody. But that day, I was known by every single person in that room. Why? Because of my presence with somebody who was known. See, church, you and I should not understand our moral perfection gets us good graces because do you know what happens? You can have a whole lifetime of good actions and one action ruins your whole entire namesake, doesn't it? You can, do count, you can do a thousand good things. One bad thing and what happens to the world, they, they get rid of you. My moral perfection does not grant me holiness. My presence in the sphere of one who is holy, he was not holy, by the way. Well, he is holy because he's in Christ, but he didn't make me holy. Christ makes me holy by his presence in me. It's a sphere of holiness. Church, please do not think that God looks at you and says, you must be perfect. 
Do you know why he doesn't say that? Have you ever gone to a party and you, you brought a gift and you think, oh, this gift is going to crush it. Oh, this gift is just, they're going to love this gift. And you set it down on the gift table and then you set it down next to everything else and you're like, oh no, my budget was way too low. You and I are bringing gifts to God and our moral perfectionism. We're sitting on the table saying, look how good we are. And right next to our gift is Jesus Christ's gift. Death for all the sin of all mankind of all time. Can you top that? Can you bring something better than never ever sinning in life and therefore dying for other people's sin? Can you top that? You can't. Do you know what happens when you set down that gift and all the other gifts trump yours? You're like, oh no. What's going to make you feel good? What's the only thing at that party that can make that you leave and you go, I'm not an utter failure in life? Do you know what the only thing that can make you feel good is? The receiver whose birthday it is, they come to you, they look at your gift, and they say this, thank you. That gift meant the world to me. And all of a sudden you go, oh, thank goodness. It's not your action that did anything. What was the thing that made you feel good, that welcomed you into the sphere of holiness? The words of the gift receiver. God is the only one that can grant you freedom and holiness because he speaks words of holiness over you. That's what changes. That's how you become holy, by the presence of somebody who is perfect, not by your perfectionism, because you'll, be, you'll never get there. And lastly, when are we holy? If we're holy by the presence, if, if C.S. Lewis is right, it's more like a secret society that we come under in the presence of those who are part of that than it is moral perfectionism. If that's what makes us wholly set apart to know the diet of the, of the cosmos maker is not our own, then, then when are we holy? It, do we become holy? Are we getting there? Are we progressively coming to an understanding? No, no, no. When are we holy? Uh, and for this, I need to talk to you about the satisfaction of God and the pleasure of God. To satisfy God or for him to find pleasure. Um, imagine you have a child and this child is learning how to walk. And imagine you're watching the Olympics at the same time that your child is learning how to walk. Now, definitively, objective truth, your child's false steps of learning how to walk compared to an Olympic sprinter, these two things aren't the same, definitively. The sprinter is a better walker than your child. <laughs> they, they, they're, they're better at it. But if your child is just learning how to walk and they take their first steps and you have somebody who's about to shatter the world record, Bolt is just running and he's, he's about to shatter the record in the Olympic Games by like three seconds. It's not even close. It's something that's otherworldly. But your child has taken their first steps. Which one are you going to look at? And if you say the Olympic sprinter, I need to pray for you. Like immediately after service, you're not ready to be a parent if that's the case. You're going to look at your, your son or your daughter's steps and you're going to go, that pleases me. Now, you and I cannot satisfy God. We can't. Because our gifts to him are not comparable to the gifts of perfection and his holiness. But you and I sure can please him. When are we holy? When we submit ourselves to his presence, not our own. That's when we're holy. I, I'm... Many of you are, are these incredible, incredible business people or 
doctors or med you're just smarter than I am. Can I just like, that's the, the overall, you're just smarter than I am. Imagine that in your place of business or at your work, there is some malfeasance going on. There's something happening. Uh, an accountant comes in and, and says, hey, uh, you know, your, your budget was over by a couple dollars. We need to work on that. And you say, yeah, yeah, I was actually going to come to you. And as an accountant, we're buying new computers. I need to know if that's okay. And the accountant goes, okay, great. I, I'd love to help you with that. Uh, can you give me all of your receipts and all of your reports and all your budget? And you're like, no, 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 no. I'm going to give you our profit loss for the year. And we have profit so we can buy computers. That, that's simple, right? In worldly terms, we say this. Am I a good person or a bad person? Can I continue on? Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm not in debt like they are. <laughs> They're really bad. I'm not like them. I'm, I'm in the black. I'm not in the red. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't gone to jail. I haven't created treason. I'm not like David. I'm not like Sarah. I'm not like Job. I'm good. So you say, no, 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 here's our profit loss. Here's, here's our, our net sheet. And the accountant goes, no, I want every single receipt, and every single report of every single day on every single credit card. And all of a sudden you go, oh, no. Because my, my personal account with the business, we, we got a little weird with it. There's a few more happy hours than I think are necessary. There's a few more personal things than I think maybe are required. And all of a sudden the accountant goes, I need all of it to see if you're healthy enough to continue on doing what's best for the company. Not, can you get another computer? That's easy, sure, I, okay. But are you somebody who's a good steward? Are you somebody who's progressing the business as it should? That's the question. When are you and I holy? Not when we bring to God our Sunday best. Not when we bring to God our face we present to the world but rather when we let him have every single receipt, we let him have every single nook and cranny, we let him in every room of the house. If you have mold in your house, painting over it will not help you whatsoever, will it? What do you need to do to that mold? Rip it out. That's, gonna, that's, that's really invasive. I got to rip out drywall. I got to get down to the studs. We might find electrical problems. We might find foundational cracks. Yep. That's holiness. Holiness is you going, God is the cosmic maker. I'm an Instagram snapper. That is not the same. And he needs to come in in every square inch of my life. And he has freedom to do so. So if he says no crickets, I will say no crickets. We'll get to if that's still applicable. But the first thing is this. He's doing it because he wants me on a diet of something better and bigger and greater than myself. And I need to learn that first and then go in freedom of it. That's what it means to be holy, is separated by the things that God finds pleasure in, in obedience to him. And this is the kicker. This is the huge thing. This is the big thing. Because God in and of himself is the reward, not what he gives you. This is what we do with moral perfectionism a lot, right? If I act wrong, what happens to you? What is God going to do? If you sin, what do you think God's going to do? Punish me. Oh, I deserve, oh, I deserve so much. Oh, God's so not happy with me. And if you do good, what do you think God's going to do? Oh, God's going to reward me now. <laughs> I've been such a good little boy or girl. God, Father, give me good things. God doesn't work that way. My son right now is all about baseball. He loves baseball. Do I think he actually appreciates the sport? Maybe. I don't know. 
But do you know why I think he does it more and more and more? Because I'm a dork about baseball. I love it. And the more he learns about it, do you know what him and I get to do in the car ride or at dinner? Talk about it. God cares more about talking with his children about the things that he loves rather than he does your moral perfectionism. What is holiness? It is separation from the world that we are accustomed to. How are we made holy? By his presence in our lives. When are we holy? When we continue God to, when we allow God and continue to have him look at every single square inch of our lives and say, this needs to become more like me. This needs to become more like me. This needs to become more like me. That's when you're holy. The presence of him in your life. Or as scripture says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That is holiness. Would you pray with me? Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.